Well, here we are. We have a few months left, and uh, we come to our time of offering. And I don't need to tell you the drill. You can see it in the bulletin. We have not quite been making our old budget, and our budget is going to be increasing from there. And so I just want to invite you to consider, as you look at your giving this fall, um, uh, many of you have taken up the challenge that was given a few weeks ago to raise your your giving uh, 20 bucks a month or so. Uh, and I want to encourage uh, others of you to reconsider that as well or to consider just uh, increasing your giving. Or perhaps you're in a place where you're, you've been new to the church, new to this community, and you haven't really got on side with a regular giving pattern. We want to encourage that. Uh, we really believe that God has called us as a church to help people find and follow Jesus. And we believe as a church as we move forward with hiring Dana, with expanding our ministries as we reach youth, um, all that, the reality is all that takes money. And so I want to just ask that you, as you consider your giving, that you would uh, open that up to the Lord and let him lead you in that, but also be praying for provision for our church, for all of us to be inspired with what God is doing and the opportunity we have to partner with him in our giving. We give through the plates, we give online, and we give through automatic uh, withdrawal from our account. So there's a number of ways that you can give. uh, And, of course, we give in lots of other ways to our time and our energy and our gifts. But in terms of finances, those are the three ways that we give. Let me just pray for the offering, and then it will be taken up today. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity we have to partner with you in what you're doing. And that giving is part of, part of that partnership. It always has been. And it's a way not only of partnering with you, but also declaring you to be the Lord of our finances, the Lord of our lives. And so as we give today, I pray that we give with generosity and with excitement and with commitment to what you're doing. And uh, lead us and teach us through this, Lord. And may we see the fruit of what you're doing here. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, those who are taking up offering can come on up. And then as the offering plates are passed, I'm just going to kind of straighten things up here. And then Kayla's going to kind of come on up and, and lead us. Lindsay's going to play a little bit. Well, I am very pleased to introduce Kayla Johnson to us this morning. Kayla is a covenanter that comes to us from, well, originally from Minnedosa. Anybody know where that is? No hands go up. One hand goes up. <laughs> oh, oh, Ed knows, of course. Ed knows. And uh, Kayla's with us, but uh, most recently hailing from, from London. And so she'll be sharing with us. Maybe come on over here, Kayla. Okay. <laughs> You'll keep it out of the monitors, I guess. Hey, guys. So anyway, I just want to pray for you, Kayla, as you begin this morning. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for Kayla for bringing her and her mom safely here as they've uh, driven through every form of weather. Uh, that must have been on the Alberta side. And uh, Lord, we just thank you for bringing them here. And I just pray you bless Kayla as she shares with us this morning. We hear your word and we also hear about the mission that you've called her into and the opportunity to have to partner with her. Bless her now. In your name we pray. Amen. It was on the Alberta side, actually. <laughs> the sun, like, came out right when we, like, honestly passed, like, the BC sign. And I was like, oh, no, I wanted to get a picture. But that's okay. I'll get it on the way out and pretend it was, like, the moment I hit BC. Because this is my first time in this area, actually. I've only been to Vancouver. Uh, so I'm so excited to see it and explore a little bit. We'll be going up to Nelson um, tonight, actually, and I'll be speaking in Nelson Tuesday evening. So I'm excited to see the Kootenai area and everything. And we've been advised um, on what to do and what to see, so we're excited to explore your lovely little community here. Uh, just to share a little bit about myself, so I'm not just this foreigner coming into your church. Um, yeah, I grew up in the Covenant Church in Minnedosa, Manitoba, and I went to CBC in Strathmore. Um, my cousin is married to Doug Nelson. For those of you who know him, he used to be a youth intern here, I think, um, oh, probably a while ago. But um, yeah, and so I have little little connections, and you got to love the Covenant Church. There's always I think this is maybe the first time I've come to a covenant church where I'm not related to someone in the church, so um, which is very interesting because I usually have someone I'm related to in every church congregation. So, um, but I've been serving in London, England for five years now with Greater Europe Mission, and like I said, I I kind of was living a, a normal life, you would say. Um, I, you know, went to Bible college. I went to university. And I, I then worked at Providence University College in, in Manitoba, which is a Christian university. And I remember there was this clear moment where I was like, God, what, what do you have for me? Like, is this it? I felt like such a thirst within me um, for for wanting something more, more than what I was just doing, because it was just almost mundane. I felt like there was something more, almost, um, I don't know if any of you have experienced that, where there's almost like a fire within. You don't know what it is, but there's something more. You want something more. And so... There is um, a series of events that took place where, you know, when you pray those prayers, you know, those of you that have prayed for patience, you understand what I'm talking about. When you pray those prayers, something, God always starts doing something, and our normal reaction is run in the opposite direction, right? It's like, okay, well, that's not what I was wanting, and that was, I was such a Jonah. I always call it, thankfully, I didn't get swallowed by a fish, but I definitely was a Jonah in that, that time. And, uh, but God's call was so profound on my life that it was almost like an internal battle. God was calling me to serve in London, England, and everything within me that that comfort zone that that fear every single fear you could ever think of was bubbling up in my mind how do I fundraise a salary like that to me was like what I don't even know how to start that Uh, the fear of leaving family behind the fear of going to somewhere where you know no one the fear of moving from a town of 2,500 people to 12 and a half million that was a pretty big one how do I even use public transit like (laughs) I drive everywhere (laughs) you know like that those type of fears but 
in this actual moment of me face down on the living room floor in a very dramatic, like, sob, God, why is this happening in my life? And God's like, you asked for me to give you something. Um, But in this moment where I'm face down on the floor, God said to me, remember, walking on water is impossible, but it's possible with God. Suddenly, all those fears, all those anxieties were wiped away. And all I could see was Jesus and the call he had on my life. So I picked myself up off the floor, wiped away the tears from my eyes, emailed my mission organization to say I was ready to go. And three months later, I don't know how that happened, but three months later, I was suddenly out of little town Minidosa and in London, England, trying to figure out life there. But the call is what drove me. The call that God had on my life was what drove me and has kept me going. And that's just a little little, little bit about me. But I was just, as you say, like a normal person walking around. And then, bam, God just showed up in such a profound way. And I had to follow. And so my mission statement um, has been on the next slide, has been seek justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. And this, oh, <laughs> lots of different photos, as you can see. Um, but this, this statement is from Micah 6, 8. It's been really profound in uh, what my ministry has been about. From working with survivors of modern slavery, women particularly coming out of um, sex slavery, from forced labor, any of um, even working with uh, ex-prostitutes, ex-convicts, working in that type of social justice industry to church planting and coming alongside people who have never encountered true love, that have only felt rejection in their lives, really loving mercy and walking humbly is choosing that call no matter how hard it is. This has been the driving force in my ministry because I truly believe that that God has a call on all of us. And this verse actually was something I loved back when I was a teenager. But it wasn't until I was 24 that God called me to do missions in London, England, when this verse came back and it was like this is the call of my life this is the focus this is where I'm passionate about this is what God's called me to do in London England and so um uh what I'm technically doing right now is I'm um, working alongside interns in uh, the UK missionary interns coming over so anyone that knows of young people or young people here that are interested in coming to the UK come speak to me and don't freak out parents Uh, (laughs) I saw some looks on some of your faces when I said that but don't freak out Um, but if you are do you have a fire within you for missions come speak to me Um, I'm a part of helping build the ministry in the UK, that it's not just receiving interns, young people wanting to do missions, explore it, but also we want to disciple and raise up interns within the UK to then send to other countries. So I'm involved in that strategy, trying to grow missions in Europe particularly. And one thing about missions in Europe is that on the next slide you can go to. Europe is one of the least reached continents in the world, which is actually quite surprising because I know in history it's told us that Europe is one of the places where lots of missionaries came from. But it is one of the least reached continents 
in the world, and particularly the UK, London. It's quite a dark place, quite lonely. And before I came, I went around and asked some people questions as to why London? Why is missions needed in London? And I have a video um, that shares some of their thoughts. So that will just come up. and I, we came with a missionary heart to London, but I think when we came, we didn't really realise just how big the need was. People see Christianity as a, as a relic of the past. If you like, they see the big buildings and they're like, yeah, that's what Europe used to be. And uh, it makes London a very hard place to reach because essentially people feel like they've heard it all before. We see that London is an ever-increasing, expanding city. It's diverse. It's got so many needs that are um, emerging as a result of that growth as an international city. The number of people moving here, um, both in relation to the refugee crisis and just in terms of just finding work that believe of a better place to be. So London needs people to come and bring hope into this city, to come and um, help people find economic prosperity to help people find a sense of who they are and their identity. So it's all coming forward after I sort of came back to faith. My first sort of experience after that was I kept, I'd take like five steps forward and kind of 20 steps back. And the first time I really felt like I was constantly moving forward in Christ is when I came to the Alpha Group. The kind of people I met sort of just didn't only give me that community, but it helped me solidify my faith. And that's honestly one of the best things that's happened to me since moving to London. So I grew up in a non-religious Muslim family. Um, and then in my adult life, I was an atheist. And then I didn't quite know what I was. Um, some kind of way, I got a hold of the Bible, which was amazing. And on those pages, I kind of found that I just had a personal revelation that Jesus is God, which still blows my mind. So the thing about London is, it's busy. I mean, really busy. And no one has the time for you, although everyone is craving for community. And that kind of brings me to my point of how grateful I am for people like Kayla and other missionaries who actually take the time to kind of like show the love and acceptance of Christ. One of the things about London is it can be a bit transient for a lot of people. You then most people drift towards the familiar. They drift towards people like themselves, you know, people from where they're from or speak the same language, that kind of thing. And so you end up in London with, you know, these little pockets of people, essentially, who are sort of in their own little clusters, all spread about, but no intermingling. So there's no sort of like crossover between the groups. And what happens with some groups that don't know anything about Christ, um, they just end up with their whole two years in London having not come in contact with faith or anything like that. So you really need people who break out of the, their own familiar space and break into the unfamiliar where these clusters are. We do church in a bar in, in Soho and um, that's 
an amazing opportunity for us to engage with people who are in that place and who aren't going to go near a church. Um, also, um, one of the other things that I'm involved in is going to a nightclub and um, we help there. We do be Jesus's hands and feet. So, you know, we're um, helping people who are sick, um, or who've lost friends, who are um, just really drunk. We're serving the community in that sense, but always with Jesus in mind of um, showing his love and even just being a presence in those places where Jesus isn't to fill London back up with light and love and, and gospel. So those are um, a couple stories. You can see there's such a wide range of ministry need. People don't go to church anymore. Um, the church is, uh, as you saw the statistic, less than 2% of the population. And uh, the, the regulars that are going to church are over the age of 70. And so you have a whole lost generation. And uh, I truly believe in this, in God's great commission to disciple all nations. And as you heard and saw, London is very diverse. People from all over the world are coming there. And so we have this really unique opportunity to help transform all nations, disciple all nations in, in London. People are coming for a couple years to London and they're going back to their countries and transforming their nations as they hear about Jesus and bring Jesus back to their countries. It's a very unique city and being able to do that across all um, in one city where you're reaching the world is really profound. And my vision of transforming, helping transform a nation is not just about people making decisions to follow Christ, but a transforming mind that impacts the world, to actually see people not just say, yes, I follow Christ, but to take that step out of the boat, to drop everything and do an action of following Christ that vis- visibly people see and are impacted by that and are drawn towards it. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, this impacting nature of transformation. As you can see, London is a city of influence, and there's a great impact there. And so if you wanted to turn with me to Luke 6, 43 to 45, um, I know that you guys have, you're about to start a series, right, Tom? Yeah. Oh, you you haven't started it. Oh, okay, perfect. Um, uh, on just how God's word impacts us. And I really love this parable. It's so small. It's so tiny. But there's such profound wording that Jesus is guiding us through it. So I'll just read it for you. You can go to it. Yeah. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And you can switch to the next slide. And the evil man brings evil things stored out of the evil in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. 
one thing I love about Luke is that he's very detailed in his writing. If um, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, was like a movie, he'd be a documentary, right? He, he loves giving you the information, particularly with the parables that Jesus is teaching. And in the, this particular series in Luke 6, there's parable after parable. And Jesus is stressing the importance of taking his teachings seriously. And in this particular piece of scripture, he's talking about the fruit being character, really speaking about the character within us and almost referring to us as humans, as trees, where our roots are, where, where we're getting life from. And there's this moment where you really look at us. And what I want to talk to you about is how we must bear the fruit that reveals the root that is God. The fruit that reveals the root. So that when people look at us, they don't just see who we are, how we dress, what color is our skin, what our accent is, anything like that. But they see some something so profound that they're drawn to. The love of Christ. Hope. Something of that, almost that Holy Spirit nature that people are drawn towards. Where our roots are planted. And I think that this parable really teaches us how to do that. How do we bear the fruit that reveals the root? And one of the first things I think it teaches us is to invest. If we look at a tree, if we look at a tree, you kind of have to invest in, in growing that tree. It doesn't just happen. You know, you plant a seed and you have to invest time and energy and money and everything into it, even just purchasing that little seed to grow it. To invest, there's almost a presence that's needed. And I really believe that presence is the movement behind transformation. This invested presence with God and with others. It's if you are not personally being transformed, you cannot expect to bear fruit. If you are not being impacted, invested in a tree, if it's not being invested in, it's not going to be looking pretty nice, right? It's going to be going all over the place and might not even have fruit bearing on it. It's almost like uh, my favorite food group called chocolate. It's almost like that. Uh, if, If you had never tasted it, imagine how you would describe it. It's square or rectangular, depending on what what you look like, Um, black or brown, cocoa. But when you taste it, it becomes smooth, creamy, decadent, right? Taste buds watering now? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's an experience. It's not just a description. It's not just, here's Jesus. I like him. He's a good guy. He He died on the cross for us. It becomes, he shaped my life. When I am in the deepest and darkest of struggles, he gives me hope. And then sharing the stories, the experience, becomes less of a, here's the cross, and more, here's what the cross has done for me. It becomes an experience. And this impact that transformation can have, we really saw that in the UK. Um, In this photo, you see a lot of people. But I will let you know that I was the first missionary with my mission organization in the UK. 
So not only was I terrified moving to a city where I knew no one, but I was the only missionary with one other partner there. And that was in 2011. And right now, 2016, we have over 20 missionaries. That's all our missionaries in the UK and over 10 partners. And in the last five years, Jam across Europe has seen five people a week become Christians, 95 church plants. 30 new cities across Europe with ministries. Even in Lesvos, we're doing work there with the refugee crisis that's coming. We're driving the refugees from the shoreline to the camps, working in the camps during those massive um, fires and raids and everything going on. Our team, our missionaries were in the middle of it. And they've seen a handful of um, refugees become Christians just in the last couple of weeks. I just got an email this week that a couple that had a struggling church in Germany where a lot of refugees are coming in went from a handful of people in their congregation to 10 congregations during this refugee. People are craving hope. They're fleeing such horrific circumstances. And God is impacting. We're seeing transformation. It's presence with God and presence with others that is making a movement in that impact. So to invest, how do we see, how do we bear the fruit that reveals the root? To invest. And the second one is to accept. This is the one, we don't, we kind of stop here. Because to accept correction for future growth. If you look at a tree, it can't just spring out everywhere. Well, sometimes in nature, obviously, we're in a very natural area, and that's, and that's okay. But if you want to see fruit grow, for it to really fully be itself, there's a pruning, a trimming process, right? When, um, if you're a gardener, you know that it, when um, some of the flowers and everything, there's a trimming process to make sure that flowers continue to grow when the old flowers become wilted. There's a trimming process, and this is the process I think almost we get stuck up in because we can't accept it. Because you know you know that moment, I'm not a green thumb at all, yet my mom is like a fantastic gardener, which so I don't know like where I came from. I killed a cactus once, which is like, I don't even know how that's possible. Um, but, but you know when you start trimming uh, a plant or whatever you're gardening, and it just dies. You work so much, you invest in it. It's because the plant didn't accept that pruning process. There's an acceptance that needs to take place. And in John 15, 1 to 2, it, it talks particularly about this. It says, Jesus is talking about how I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch in me that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. The purpose of trimming and pruning is to bear good fruit. It actually protects us right now in the present and for the future. Nikki Gumbel, um, he's the creator of Alpha, for those of you that don't know. Um, he also is the lead pastor at the church I go to in London. He said that pruning looks very cruel. I think we can all agree on that when we've gone through this process of pruning and trimming. Sometimes leaving only a jagged stump to face the harsh winter. 
but we are pruned for something new. And when spring and summer return, there is an abundance of fruit. If we reject this process of accepting correction, we are left only with jagged stumps. When I first went to to London, like I said, I was the first missionary, which meant I was the experiment almost. Um, I was learning the culture for the first time. Didn't have any idea what um, what uh, that that there was an adaptation. I was like, I'm going to an English speaking country. It's all good. Well, oh my goodness, put my foot in my mouth so many times in England because there are words that do not work well over there that Canadians say that are very bad over there. I won't even go into them, but they are very bad. You could come and ask me later about them. <laughs> I put my foot in my mouth how many times? And actually, Brits have this thing called banter. I didn't know about banter. So I thought people hated me for two years. But actually, it's their way of saying they love you (laughs) by making fun of you at every moment they possibly can. That is banter. They are very dry humor, very skeptical, and very almost um, sarcastic in so many ways. So I thought for so long, I was like, I remember calling, I have no friends. I'm all alone here. And there is this loneliness and this element of, of I can't do this. And if I hadn't accepted that correction, if I had just been, well, this is how we do it in Canada, or, um, you know, those statements where we're like, oh, you're so annoyed. Honestly, after a year, you do get annoyed, and you're just like, I just want it to be like Canada. I just want it to be normal. I just want some form of where I'm not being corrected. But honestly, that first year, I would not give up for the world because I felt like I grew from being this really young, shy, small-town girl. And God took it, and he molded me and shaped me into a person that actually was able to step out and meet strangers for coffee on a regular basis. Now I enjoy it. Before, I was terrified of it. I'm shy. I don't want to go meet a stranger for coffee. But... God shaped and molded. And yes, I rejected the correction at the beginning. I think we all do. It's hard. We don't want to change. We like our comforts. But there's something really beautiful because God had not just this small little tree in mind, but a grand future for me and for all of you. He has that grand future. It doesn't matter if you're this this young or you lived a full life. There's still a grand future waiting for you, that, that presence, that, that utmost love that he has for his children is to grow you, to bloom more fruit. To accept correction is to recognize God in our life. Pruning is the necessity behind bearing good fruit, behind growth. And then the third one, to let go. I think this is the hardest part of the gardening process when you have to recognize that things are out of your own control, that you cannot control the weather. I grew up in the farming community. My mom and or my mom always with my dad would take him to the window when he was having an anxiety attack because the weather wasn't going his way with the crop. Take him to the window and sing him that song, God is in control. God is in control. We believe that his children will not be forsaken. My mom would sing that over and over and over to him because at the end of the day, my dad cannot control the weather. 
There are things that are out of our own control, whether it's someone we deeply love that has fallen away from their faith or maybe has never known the love of Christ before. And we just desperately want them to know it is out of our control because essentially we are not the transformers. We're just the instruments, the tools in the process of transformation. God is the transformer. To let go is, is almost this thing where you see Peter being called out of the boat by Jesus, who's just strutting it on the water, right? Like, I just think this is so funny. In the, parab- in the, in the story, it says Jesus was walking by the boat. I just have this Im- funny image of them, like, going through the crashing of the wind, and then they, like, look out, and Jesus is like, hey, how's it going? You know, because, like, we think of it just like as a normal, because some of us grow up with these stories. But it's actually quite profound. Jesus is just like walking on water. He doesn't stop to say hi. He's walking by their boat as if just to be like, yeah, they'll notice me at one point. Like, you know, it's an epic moment. And it, to let go is that moment where Peter's called out and he says, okay, I can't walk on water. But Jesus says, is calling me out, so I'm going to trust him enough to just walk on water to step out of the boat onto water, right? Not ice, water. And trust that God's going to make it like ice, right? Letting go is that 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 process. And um you know, I think it's it's funny how when we draw closer to God, when we step out of the boat, when we have more of these moments where we're learning how to let go or really great moments where we see our families growing closer to God, we see our businesses thriving, we see um, our congregations growing, everything like that. And it's like one after the other hit with horrible things, health, you know, um, family crisis. Uh, the crop doesn't go well that year and you lose finances. Things just seem to happen that way, don't they? Where things start going good and they start suddenly going drastically wrong. Satan doesn't want us to be having a, a good life with God. He wants to upset it in every possible way. I'm pretty sure that when Peter was stepping out of the boat, that fear that Satan likes to instill in our minds, that fear of, God, how do I fundraise, you know, a salary, all this kind of stuff. All those fears suddenly come into our mind to stop us. Just stop. They're realistic, right? How do I fundraise a salary? That's a realistic fear. But with God, they all get wiped out. It's that letting go, that, that ability to be like, I know you are greater. Allowing God to be God in your life. Not just... God up there, but God that is with us all the time, constantly moving and growing us to let go. And those crises that happen, they they happen, I think, I'm just, I laugh now when they happen in London, because they seem to happen. One of my friends said to me the other day, I just want to put pause on your life. And I was like, yeah, me too. I want to put pause on my life too. So it just seems one week after the other, there's a crisis. And this this ability to let go, God really brought into my life when um, last year I was diagnosed with uh, a chronic illness. And as I'm walking, those of you that have been in leadership or maybe in your business you're in leadership, there's almost like this extra level of strength that you put on yourself. 
So as I'm walking away from the hospital in a haze of what is going on, all I remember is be strong, be strong, be strong. And it's almost like I was avoiding what was happening in my life. And there's this amazing song by Casting Crowns um, that came on when I was listening to music. And it says this, so perfect, you know, you, I love it how God works in, in those moments where we're listening to random music. It says, hold it all together, everybody needs you strong. But life hits you out of nowhere and barely leaves you holding on. And when you're tired of fighting, chained by your control, there's freedom in surrender. Leave it down and let it go. And in that moment, I recognize that in Psalm 48.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. And be still's actual translation is let go. Let go and know that I am God. To let go is to allow God to be God in your life. We must spend time with the transformer to be, to see and be transformed, to see transformation. The impacting nature of transformation takes place when we are present with God and present with others. I'll leave you, um, you can go to um, the next slide after that. I'll leave you with a quick little story for today. Um, One, like I mentioned, I work with women that are coming out of modern slavery. And one of the programs that we run um, actually helps with empowerment. So we, um, especially in the immediate process uh, of coming out, uh, where your whole identity as a human being has been ripped away, especially in sexual slavery. You have, you don't even know how to make choices because you've never had a choice. Your identity has been wiped out, and we come alongside them and help empower them, help them see not their past as their identity, but their future, their future hopes, who they are, reestablish themselves in a world that seems so hated, where they feel that they are worthless. We come in and say, you are worth everything. And uh, we had graduation, and I just love this that uh, one of the women said, this has been life-changing. You saw the potential in us and shined a light on it. I now have hope for my future, and I thank God. There's this element of when people are in tragedy and have lost themselves, they're seeking hope, they're seeking this, this love that they don't, half of them don't even know or have experienced. And not everyone is a Christian within these programs, but you can see them searching. And this is the impacting nature of transformation. When we, we don't have to be vocal all the time about that God is love, God is love. We acting it out is the profound part because people can sit back and see hope and want that and come and speak to you. And that's what this program is about It's about helping share the love and hope of Christ in their lives so that they are moved. And you can see the transforming nature that is impacting people all around us. You may not even know the impact you are making on people's lives. And you don't have to. Just by following Christ and actively being involved in presence with him and with others is 
can make a profound impact. These are just simple, simple stories of of what God is doing in the UK, but I know you have stories. I hope that as I was sharing those things, to to let go, to accept, to invest, stories were coming into your mind of what God is doing around you in this church, in your families, in your work, in your communities. God is always working. He's always working, even if we have those days where we just need to sit back and put our feet up. He's always working. That's how wonderful our God is. The impacting nature of transformation. What does it look like for you to invest, to accept, to let go? Maybe you have come here this morning thirsty for transformation, like I was, thirsty for something new, thirsty to bear good fruit, thirsty for presence with God, for presence with others. Wherever you see yourself, God is here. He is ready. Are you willing to be deeply rooted in God? So rooted that your fruit reveals the nature of God's transforming fullness. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for this church. I think it's amazing with your beauty, your natural beauty all around us as we meet here today, that that you are a God that is present with us. Even if sometimes we don't feel you, that doesn't matter because you are always with us. That is constant. You are constant. And I pray that you would be present with each individual right here. Just meet them where they they are at. Reveal yourself to them. And I pray that they're, they're rooted self would just become so deeply rooted in you that people around them, even this week, ask, where does your hope come from? They, they, that people around them want to know more of, of why they have almost a light about them. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. And I just put a slide together because I know there's lots of people that like to pray. That I get asked a lot for prayer requests. So there's just some prayer requests. And um, if you have questions, please come speak to me. I'll be at the back. Um, there's lots of little information to take away, even little prayer cards. Uh, um, if you don't have time to look at those or that kind of stuff. But thank you so much for letting me be here with you. Um, I would love to get to know each and every one of you. So I'm just going to s- sit at the back and you can come chat with me. I would love it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Kayla. That was great. Hey, some of you don't know, but before I came to this church, I raised 100% of my own support when I worked with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for six years. It was worse than that. I raised money to go and work in the wealthiest city in Canada. Some of you are from that city. It's called Calgary. Imagine raising finances to go to Calgary. Just imagine that for a moment. Yeah, it was kind of daunting. 
I, I say that to you to say that it is significant for us to consider supporting Kayla. It's tough to go and ask people to consider supporting you. That's tough business. So I actually just want to advocate a little bit for Kayla today and just say, you know what, she's here. I really want to encourage you to go over and find out more about it. it here's the drill. And Kayla totally is on side with this. We understand that not everyone can sign on to give, but go and talk to her about her ministry. Find out more about it. Uh, find out ways you can pray. Sign up for her newsletter. She gives her great newsletters. I've been on that for a while. And uh, find out more about it. But some of you can, 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 can begin contributing. $30 a month, $50 a month, $100 a month, $500 a month. Um, and some of you can do that. You have the capability. And so I just want to encourage you to, to connect with Kayla and uh, hear more about what she's doing to reach uh, some of the least reached people in the world in London and uh, see how God might lead you there. Uh, so I'm excited that you're here um, and that we have that opportunity. Uh, the second thing is, is during coffee time and afterwards, um, my son Micah will be roaming around with the camera. And he might look a little bit shy to ask you, but he's trying to collect little snippets of what you're thankful for. We're putting together a video for next week. So be nice to him. Um, and then the third one, and then, uh, and then we can go to coffee time. third one is, if you don't mind, if, uh, if Jody and Steve and Mike and Brennan and Scott, maybe, if you could clear away those last three or four uh, aisles of chairs that got added for this service so that we have more room to move back there as well as uh, get ready for the second service, that'd be awesome. Well, go in the grace of the Lord and let's have some coffee.